Welcome to the Catholic Foodie Show here on You Supported Real Life Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie. And today we're talking about uh, a number of things, but primarily about culinary inspirations. I want to share with you uh, one of my early culinary mentors and uh, per- particularly a, a cookbook uh, that that uh, that I just absolutely love. Matter of fact, if you see this thing, it's all tattered and battered and covered in food and writing and uh, <laughs> notes, all kind of good stuff. It's a very well-used cookbook, despite the fact that it's also autographed by the author. So we're talking culinary inspiration today. I also have uh, a couple of sound clips to share with you, uh, bringing some other voices uh, here onto the show. Uh, Very glad that you could be with me today. This is the Catholic Foodie Show on You Supported Real Life Radio. And uh, I want to thank you for listening. It it means a lot to me. I thank you so much for, for listening. And and I want to give you an invitation. You know, you can always be a part of the show. I'm going to play some voice feedback here in a minute, but you can always give me a call night or day, anytime uh, at 985-635-4974. 985-635-4974. That is the voice feedback line, the Catholic Foodie voice feedback line, and you can leave a message there. Uh, no one's going to answer. You can call at any time of the day or night uh, and just leave a message. That's uh, uh, a way that I'm able to get uh, voice feedback from from folks. I've been using this number since way back when, when I first started uh, the Catholic Foodie Podcast. And uh, you can leave a message. I can play it on the show. That's the key ingredient here in this uh, in this little gumbo is that you leave the message then I can play it on the show. And it creates this little conversation. You know, we can kind of talk back and forth uh, through these uh, these voice uh, messages, voice feedback. And it, I tell you what, it is always a delight for me to have you on the show, to have your voice on the show. And uh, I will play uh, some voice feedback in just a minute, just to give you a taste of what it's like. This is feedback that I played already before on the Catholic Foodie Podcast, but it's been, it's been a, a couple of months uh, and I haven't played it here on the live show. So I will play that today, really just to give you an idea of what, what that, how that works and what it's about. And uh, I'm excited to do that today. You know, you can also, because this is radio, this is real life radio, you can actually call in live. You can call in now. And uh, how do you do that? You do it by dialing 855-949-1380, 855-949-1380. So if you are listening right now live, not on the podcast, but live, and you want to uh, reach out, maybe have a question about uh, uh, food and faith, yeah, how, how to make a particular dish, I can try as, you know, I can try to help you as best I can. Uh, perhaps you have a question on how how you can get your family around the table more often, uh, then you can always give me a call, uh, 855-949-1380, 855-949-1380. Now, you know, we do call this uh, Real Life Radio. We actually, we call it You Supported Real Life Radio. And hopefully that little phrase there, You Supported, uh, piques your curiosity. And if it does, you can find out why we say it and how it benefits you by going to realliferadio.com and clicking on the Care to Share link. It is always a joy for me to be here with you uh, on the Catholic Foodie Show. And I'm going to uh, play some feedback that I got from a friend of mine, Angela Cialana. And this is feedback that she uh, sent to me. I think it was in April, if I'm not mistaken. It was uh, prior to the launch of uh, the Catholic Foodie Show on Real Life Radio, back when I was still doing just a podcast. Um, And let me see, this is what she had to say. 
we may have a little voice, a uh, little uh, sound sound clip here. I don't know why it's not coming through. Is it not playing? Perhaps it's not playing. How about we come back to this? <laughs> Live radio, folks. I love it. Isn't this great? Uh, what I want to do today, I want to share with you, uh, and I'm going to have to, what I did is I unplugged uh, something, so you're not you know, you're not hearing that. I will, uh, I will, um, uh, over the break, I'll plug that in and play that for you. In the meantime, uh, we're talking culinary uh, inspiration, and I can go back. I tell you what, I look back uh, to my young life, you know, when I was a, a child, and I still remember uh, some of the, the the culinary inspirations in my life. I mean, the, one of the early ones was Justin Wilson. Justin Wilson in uh, South Louisiana, you know, I don't think he was actually even Cajun, but he had mastered mastered the Cajun accent, and uh, he had a, a cooking show on television. This is way before, way before, because I'm old now, you know, he, this is way before Food Network, uh, but he had a cooking show on uh, local television, and uh, it, it was just so much fun to watch. He's a little little old man, you know, cooking in a, in a country kitchen uh, with, with cast iron pots, and he's got that Cajun accent going on. I think his wife was actually Cajun, but he wasn't. And he kind of, uh, he was an entertainer though. He was, he, he used to, uh, do comedy and, uh, he would do, um, you know, live audience, um, uh, shows and not just a television show, but actually, actually like comedy shows too. Uh, a neat, neat character. And, uh, you could probably still find some of his stuff online, probably on YouTube. Some of the old, uh, shows that he would do, uh, the, the cooking shows, he had a number of, of cookbooks out, but it was that he had a character, right? It was this old Cajun man, and and he's in the kitchen cooking, and he's talking to you while he cooks. It kind of reminds me of of Emerald Lagasse, which we're going to talk about. Uh, we'll talk about Emerald in just a minute. But this guy, Justin Wilson, just I cannot to save my life do a Cajun accent. I can't do it justice. But he just uh, it was so funny. You know, he just as an example, uh, chicken. You know, you talk about a chicken gumbo. For whatever reason, he would call chicken chicken. So you'd have a, a, a chicken gumbo and uh, love the way that he would do that. That was an early cultural inspiration for me, right? Culinary inspiration. Um, I, I loved to cook when I was a, a, just a kid, a, a young child, probably uh, eight, nine, 10 years old. I started to, to get in the kitchen and to, to mess around, to play around. And that's how it all started for me. Um, but I had these early inspirations. Uh, that was one of them. There was another one, which is, you know, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I, I, you know, you can, when you're, when you're a child, your world is very small, right? You have certain number of influences, a certain number of things you're exposed to on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and your world is, is really kind of small, but as you get, as an example, think of it just from a, a geographical standpoint, you know, I grew up in a neighborhood and in that neighborhood, uh, I used to love to get on my bike and I go for ride. I just go ride my bike and I could be gone for two hours, just riding all over the place. But it was really just in my neighborhood. I never left my neighborhood. Right. And it was only, you know, when I'm with my parents in the car or much later when I was driving that I would leave the neighborhood. And so my world kind of expands. Well, that happens also on a, on a, in a, in a cultural sense, right. In an intellectual sense and in a cultural sense. So as a child, I had these, you know, a, a small number of influences, a, a, a very small world. And, and like Justin Wilson was part of that because I could see him on local television. Uh, and we had another television show and this was something that if I remember correctly, and this is where things get crazy because 
you know, my world was small then. And so now I'm an adult. My world is much bigger. And I sometimes have to look back at what things were like when I was a child and try to make sense of that. And that's what I'm doing here. When I was a, a young child, probably, you know, again, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, somewhere around there, maybe 12. Um, there was a, a show that came on as a local television show, came on one of the channels on uh, one of the three channels. Can you imagine that? One of the three channels that we had on TV. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it was called PM Magazine. And I, and I believe that uh, PM Magazine was one of these uh, types of shows where they had certain content was generic or, or national in interest. And they, they left gaps open in that content to where local stations could produce their own content. And you'd have local content together with national content. And it was just a, a 30 minute show kind of um, uh, news. And if I remember, correctly, I, th I think it was every day. I, I, I could be wrong about that. But I know that it wasn't just in Baton Rouge. They had PM Magazine in different places all, all across the country. In Baton Rouge, we had one segment. And, and again, I'm looking back at my childhood. I can't remember if it was daily or if it was weekly, but it was basically the Cajun Chowhound was the name, right? The Cajun Chowhound is a, it was a food segment on PM Magazine, the Cajun Chowhound with his sidekick spare rib. Now this guy was in a sense, kind of a larger in life character. He was a very heavy man. Uh, with a beard and he wore dark sun, dark sunglasses and he drove a, a black and orange um, f Ford Bronco, real big, big tires, you know, sort of bigger than life kind of a thing. And he would, you know, the, the, the whole, uh, the cinematography of it was interesting because they show the, the car driving up, the big Bronco driving up to a restaurant. They show him getting out and he's saying something to the camera, you know, they're going into this place. And anyway, they go into the restaurant, he orders food, you get to watch this guy eat, which was always, I guess, kind of an interesting thing, you know, when you think about it. Uh, and he comments on the food. He's always a positive review uh, for the most part. And then, and then he always gets a doggy bag to go. And that doggy bag uh, he brings out to the car to his uh, to the big Bronco uh, to his sidekick Spare Rib. Now Spare Rib was a Basset Hound, and uh, Spare Rib wasn't just any Basset Hound. Spare Rib was actually my Basset Hound. <laughs> <laughs> now that was kind of a cool story, you know. I don't know how this happened, but uh, the people who who put this uh, segment together had been on the hunt for a basset hound, and uh, it was my uh, the vet for my dog, whose name was not Spare Rib; it was Fred. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the the vet contacted us and said, "Hey, this uh, TV show is looking for a, a you know looking for a, a basset hound. Would you be interested? They would pay you for it." And so my mom, you know. My mom came, I remember her coming to me and saying, what do you think about this? I said, hey, I think that's great. My dog will be a movie star and I get to, I get to make a little money. I think that's fantastic. So um, uh, Spare Rib was uh, my, my basset hound on the show with the Cajun Chow Hound. Uh, pretty amazing. You know, when you think about it, I was always impressed by that. I loved the whole concept of, of watching this guy go in and critique restaurants. And, and, and I guess you could say that in some way, this did pave the way for me uh, for the Catholic foodie to come around, because what do I do? I talk about food. I do link it to faith. Um, 
I don't know if I'm as large as larger than life as 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 uh, the Cajun Chowhound was, but uh, but we do a lot of the same things, and so that's that's kind of a, a neat little neat little thing there. All right, we are coming up on a break though, and I do want to uh, to, to remind you you are listening to the Catholic Foodie Show here on You Supported Real Life Radio, and uh, I've got culinary inspiration on the brain today. I'm going to share some of my inspirations with you, and uh, and we'll be back. We got to take a break. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Welcome back to the Catholic Foodie Show here on You Supported Real Life Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Young. And uh, this is real life, folks. This is real life. You know, I joked about that uh, last segment, but it is true. You know, yesterday, if you were listening to the show yesterday, uh, and I certainly hope that you were, but uh, you may have noticed that at the end of the show, we had some major technical difficulty, you know? Uh, and, and why does that happen? Because life has technical difficulty. I don't know about your life, but mine certainly does. It, you know, it's really awesome. I love the fact that God is our Father, you know, and Jesus. Jesus taught us to pray the Our Father. You look at the, the lives of the saints throughout the history of the church, and you see time and again, time and again, time and again, they encourage us uh, and inspire us to to call God Father, to not just call him Father, but to uh, to relate to him as Father, as Papa, right? Uh, what, what, what did Jesus call God? He didn't call him, hello, Father, you know? He said, Abba, 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 which, which is like saying daddy and uh, dada, dada, papa. And uh, God is just so good to us. And so despite the technical difficulties that we face in life, despite the fact that sometimes we uh, burn the, the beans <laughs> on the stove, uh, despite the fact that uh, sometimes I, I grill things, you know, a little bit too long and end up drying them out. Despite all that, uh, God's with us. God is with us. Papa is with us uh, and loving us and uh, no matter what happens in life. So we, we have that certainty, that, that security of knowing that God is for us and, and not against us. And today on the Catholic Foodie Show, we are talking about culinary inspirations. And uh, I was talking about uh, uh, Justin Wilson. I do have uh, some video clips, by the way, and I'm going to put them over in the show notes at catholicfoodie.com. You know, at once this, uh, you know, give me give me a couple of hours here and I'll have that up and you can go in and check out Justin Wilson. Uh, the Cajun Chowhound, you know, there's not, I have looked, I have looked, I have looked. I have uh, searched, you know, you figure the internet, there's everything on the internet, right? Well, that's not necessarily the case. Very little, very little could I find uh, on the Cajun Chowhound because uh, about two years ago, I had this inspiration of possibly trying to bring back that persona, not exactly the same persona, but but the same concept of uh, the Cajun Chowhound and I actually bought the domain name and, and all that uh, fun stuff and did my research, tried to uh, to find this guy, tried to locate him and to uh, to, to maybe get his permission or, or whatever. Well, in that research, I finally, uh, I kind of figured, first of all, I found out there's nothing, nothing, nothing online. No, no old episodes of PM Magazine that have the Cajun Chowhound, nothing. 
in. Um, and secondly, I, I did do some research and I found out that those who actually know this guy, and I do have the name, I can't remember his real name, but the, those who, who have his name um, had a lot of, um, well, when they, when they remembered, reflected back and remembered uh, their encounters with this guy or what they know about this guy, it was all colorful. Let's put it that way. I think he had been um, uh, fired from a number of different uh, uh, jobs <laughs> in the media, uh, partly because of uh, the personality and the language that was used and that kind of stuff. So a little, you know, and probably had some other issues too. And, and that, that's, that's, uh, that's um, why I didn't pursue it, you know? And, but again, it goes back to what I said last episode. When I was a child, my world was small. I only knew what I was exposed to, which wasn't a whole lot. And now as an adult, I look back in my, in my, you know, my childhood, I look back to my childhood and I have to try to make sense of it. You know, what, what was there more there than I knew at the time, I guess is a good way to put it. But the Cajun Chowhound was a definitely an inspiration to me, um, you know, probably in ways that I, I can't even articulate. And so was Justin Wilson. And I want to share with you another uh, uh, inspiration, another uh, mentor, maybe uh, you can look at it that way. And that's Emeril Lagasse. You know, Emeril, Emeril uh, was just a local chef. I mean, he, he was uh, the head chef at Command. Anders Palace in New Orleans. Uh, and that, believe it or not, really does seem to be a launch pad, that particular position. We've had a number. Paul Prudhomme was, was one of them. We've had a number of chefs who have, um, from that particular position at Commander's Palace, world-famous restaurant in New Orleans, uh, head chef from that position have been launched into stellar, stellar uh, international uh, types of careers, you know, in, with when you when you take into consideration media, uh, whether it's cookbooks, uh, the, the publication of, of writing and publication of cookbooks, or uh, or television. And I think Emerald is a very good example of that. Paul Prudhomme is a great example of that too, with with cookbooks under his belt, along with television and uh, and even products that you go to the store, you can buy products. His his line of seasonings and whatnot, and of course, of course, restaurants. You know their own restaurants. Emerald's the same way. Emerald has a number of restaurants all over the country, uh, a few here in New Orleans. Uh, written several books, and the thing that I, uh, that really uh, drew me to uh, to Emerald early on it was twofold. First. First of all, very lively personality on television. If you remember those early days of Food Network, back back in the day when you actually had uh, kind of instructional entertainment, yes, but instructional uh, cooking shows where they're actually going through and cooking a dish and showing you how to do it, you know, way back when. Uh, nowadays, it's all, it seems to me at least, uh, it's all um, competitive uh, competition kind of cooking stuff. And a lot of focus on uh, the celebrity aspect of of chefdom, and uh, and that's something that that I don't know, uh, I don't know. And, and, uh, on the one hand, it does reflect for us culturally that yes, indeed, uh, we do have a hunger for for food, not just for food, but for talk about food, for for food media, and that's a good thing for me as the Catholic foodie. I think that's a good thing, and it also shows though the importance of of food. However, as I share with you a couple of uh, shows back when I talked about Chef John Besh, um, he has a genuine concern that the the celebrity focus of chefdom that we see on these cooking shows, especially the cooking shows that are that are competition based, um, that that may in fact be um, it may yield. 
an outcome that is very different than what we would desire. In other words, we may be scaring people out of the kitchen instead of trying to encourage them to get into the kitchen. And so, you know, I don't know. I don't know. There's something, there's something there. But those early days of Food Network with, uh, with Emerald, with this, this very lively personality, you know, bam, uh, adding seasoning to a dish, bam, you know, kick it up a notch. And that was uh, thrilling. It was new. It was different on TV. We hadn't seen that before. And uh, it was a party. You know, every day was a party uh, for him uh, on, on uh, that, that, or those early shows. And if you are into cookbooks and uh, you ever looked at his early cookbooks, uh, Louisiana Real and Rustic is the one that I'm holding in my hand right now and probably one of my most favorite cookbooks uh, of all. And, and that goes across, across boundaries, all boundaries. Uh, Louisiana Real and Rustic. If you look at the cookbooks, uh, a lot of his early cookbooks were all co-written with a friend of mine who's someone who's become a friend of mine over the years, Marcel Bienvenu. I talked about Marcel early on in the summer. I think it was probably end of May, early June. Talked about her on the show and even had a little sound clip there of an interview I did with her uh, a couple of, about a year or so ago, I think, uh, on summer summer salads and, and cooking, you know, summer cooking. And uh, Marcel is just, I mean, what a classy, classy Southern lady. She is a phenomenal chef in her own right. She has been. Uh, she's she has cooked at worked at Commander's Palace. She's she's been a food writer for over thirty years. Uh, author of numerous cookbooks, uh, some of in her own name, and some that she has partnered with uh, with with chefs like like Emeril Lagasse, and and she's also written for big big name uh, uh, publications like Time Life Books and and others, doing series. You know, uh, writing and as, as part of a series on. Um, the cuisine of South Louisiana, as an example. So, I mean, just a tremendous, tremendous lady, uh, Catholic, uh, grew up Catholic, um, talks about that. One of her best known books is called Who's Your Mama? Are You Catholic? And Can You Make a Roux? Roux being R-O-U-X, the base for uh, for gumbos down here in South Louisiana. So, uh, Who's Your Mama? Are You Catholic? And Can You Make a Roux? Fantastic collection of recipes and stories about her life growing up in South Louisiana in a Catholic family. And that book has had several printings and uh, has is, is sold around the world. It's a it's a wonder. I love that book. But it, uh, the, today I'm talking about Emerald. We've already talked about Marcel uh, in a previous show. But I, the the important thing here and the connection I'm trying to make is that. Uh, the early books that Emerald wrote as a professional chef, right, professional chef, uh, he wrote together with Marcel. Marcel did a lot of the writing itself, uh, a lot of the the putting together of the uh, of the recipes, making sure that they were uh, able to be prepared in a home kitchen. And uh, in, in in the interview I had with her uh, back in 2009, she made it very clear that when she wrote these books, she signed on to do it. She said, "Look, we've got to do this right. We have to make sure that." That Miss Susie Q and her kitchen, that is just a home kitchen, is going to be able to cook these these recipes. They can't be like we do in a in a in a test kitchen or or in a professional kitchen. And so she made sure and she signed on only because they were going to allow her to do to test all the recipes in in a home kitchen. So this is one of those cookbooks that not only 
has a lot of character, not only has some great stories in there, but every one of the recipes here is rock solid. There's no no question. I have no concerns. I don't have to worry about if I wanted to follow this to a T. I don't have to worry about tweaking it. I mean, I naturally do because that's my my personality. I kind of have to tweak everything, but um, I know that they work. I know that they're rock solid. And, and I have no uh, qualms about recommending them to... Um, you know, to, to other folks. And, uh, and so that's one of the things I love about this, uh, these cookbooks. Uh, and we'll talk, we have a break coming up here. We do have a break coming up and we are going to talk a little bit more about Louisiana Real and Rustic. Uh, it's one of the first cookbooks that uh, author, chef Emerald Lagasse have published together with Marcel Bienvenu. You're listening to the Catholic Foodie Show here on Real Life Radio. And we'll be back after these messages. And I was telling you before the break that uh, one of my favorite cookbooks in all the world is uh, Louisiana Real and Rustic by Emeril Lagasse, together with uh, Marcel Bienvenu. And, you know, a couple of, as I said, one of the main reasons that this is uh, one of my favorites is because um, the recipes are rock solid. I know that, you know, Marcel was, uh, was very particular about it. She had, they, they tested all the recipes in a home test kitchen. I mean, a home kitchen, I should say, not a home test kitchen, a home kitchen. They tested all the recipes to make sure that they would work in your kitchen. And that's, that's so vital. So, so important. And, uh, but in addition to that, it is signed, uh, my wife, Actually, this particular copy, which is, I'm telling you, it is tattered and splattered. Uh, it is covered in batter. It does have uh, uh, tears all around it and, and writing. You know, if I if I tweak something here or there, uh, especially for the turkey, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you a turkey recipe uh, in just a minute. You know, turkey isn't just for Thanksgiving now. You know, I'll, I'll give you one that I'm telling you is the most juiciest turkey recipe I've ever come across in my life. And it's, it's the go-to recipe I use um, at, at uh, uh, Thanksgiving and, and Christmas now and have for probably, goodness, what is this? We're in 2015 for probably six, six or so years now. It's been the only one I use. Uh, but, you know, my wife brought this particular cookbook into uh, our marriage. She had, uh, I think it was probably a year or two before we got married. Uh, and I don't remember how. I don't, it was something, some local event in New Orleans. And she could tell you right away. I can't remember. Some local event. She won this cookbook and, uh, and, and was able to get, I mean, Emerald was there and he was able to sign it. So he signed it. He said, great cooking, always with essence, you know, Emerald. Signed Emerald, and then later uh, in 2009, because I see the the cookbook I brought into marriage was Marcel Bienvenu's uh, "Who's Your Mama? Are You Catholic? And Can You Make a Root?" And so in 2009, July of 2009, when I interviewed Marcel, I made sure to bring this Louisiana Real and Rustic with me, and I had her. Uh, autograph it as well, since she's a, a co-author on this. Uh, so that's pretty cool. She said, enjoy, you know, and then sign her name, Marcel Bienvenu, July 2009. Uh, but it's neat because they tell stories throughout. And if you, if you have uh, come across my book, 
around the table with the Catholic foodie Middle Eastern cuisine. Uh, one of the things that has been um, uh, a common theme, right? A common, a common comment that folks have have made about the book, saying that they love it because I tell stories, and uh, each recipe is introduced with a story. The story may be about where the recipe came from. It may be about um, you know my my introduction to that particular dish, you know, in my life, and a story about that. Uh, like I think I tell the story of, of grape leaves, you know, and uh, when I first had Lebanese grape leaves, and uh, my mother in law made it, and and I still remember that one uh, time. I think it may, it may have been around. Christmas when my parents were invited over to my, this is before we got married, right? Before we were married, my parents were invited over to my in-laws house and uh, my dad's a rather uh, picky uh, eater and uh, even even today and he always has been. And uh, at one point, my mother-in-law was chasing my father around the kitchen with a grape leaf, trying to get him to taste it. And he would literally, she was chasing him around the kitchen. <laughs> and uh, it reminds me of that, of, you know, my big fat Greek wedding. And you have the story, you know, um, uh, what's her name? Tula. Tula's telling the story about Christmas, you know, at, at her house and how her aunt Vula is chasing her around the house with the, uh, the, the, the lamb eyeball, you know, trying to get her to eat the eyeball because it's going to make her smart. Right. And, uh, this is, uh, this is, uh, it's real stuff, you know, it's really, it really happened. My, 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 my dad was chased around the kitchen. Anyway, point is I tell the story in the book, you know, and I do those kind of things for each of the recipes, all 76 of them, I believe it's 76. And in, in this particular book, same thing. You have Emerald and you have uh, uh, Marcel telling stories, telling stories of their family, telling stories about particular recipes, where they came from, how, how you know, what this was like when they were kids. And, uh, and, and Marcel grew up uh, outside of Lafayette, Southwest Louisiana, and uh, has a lot of beautiful stories just of how, you know, simple family life in that, in that rural area, a rural area of South Louisiana, um, you know, all those years ago. And it's just, it's beautiful to read those stories and very, um, you know, touching is very touching. And then on top of that, you have these incredible, incredible recipes. So if we look at, um, you know, some of the contents, um, Let's see if I could just give you a, a sampling. These are going to be Louisiana recipes, of course. So you have like turtle soup, which is, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily a Louisiana thing, but turtle soup, oyster stew, seafood gumbo, shrimp etouffee, crawfish patties, crawfish pie, uh, oysters, uh, Bienville. Let's see, uh, Sunday roast chicken, ducks with fig glaze, panade quail, uh, Natchitoches meat pies. I love those things. Those are so good. Uh, griots, which is something I make at home uh, on a regular basis. I usually make it with round steak. Uh, how to make andouille sausage. If you want to make andouille sausage from from scratch or boudin or tasso. Uh, we have jambalaya, red beans and rice, uh, baked cheese grits, smothered cabbage, uh, braban potatoes, candied yams. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. If you look at some the 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 um, uh, desserts down here. You've got peach upside down cake, praline pound cake, pecan pie, Marcel's bread pudding, 
uh, caramel, cup, custard, Creole, cream, cheese, ice cream. Oh my goodness, so good. It wants make you want to slap your mama. You know what I'm talking about? In a, in a nice way, in a nice way. Kind of like high five, high five, that kind of a slap. Uh, but yeah, good stuff. Really, really good stuff. And I did tell you just a few minutes ago, I mentioned the, uh, the, the, the turkey recipe. I'm going to give you that right now. This is something that uh, my wife and I tried, I'm telling you, it's probably six, six or so years ago. And it has become now, our go-to, our absolute go-to uh, recipe, and we use it every Thanksgiving and uh, and every uh, every Christmas. And I have to tell you, you know, we do it other times of the year too. You know, if you if you off-season turkeys are cheaper, a eh? and there's nothing like it. I mean, if you wanted to make a, a a big turkey, cook a big turkey on the weekend, and you'd have leftovers for days. Uh, so that's something that we do from time to time. It makes uh, life uh, a lot easier. And when you, it's something like this, and it's so good. How, how can you not want to do it? You know, how can you not want to do it? This is a pepper stuffed turkey. And uh, you talk about good. Oh, 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 man. And this is the, I'm going to read you the introduction because this is uh, kind of give you a sample of what this book is like. Marcel's Aunt Git, that's her name. I think that's how you pronounce it. Git, G-I-T. Marcel's Aunt Git uh, makes this amazing roast turkey for every family occasion, funerals, weddings, christenings, and sometimes for no special occasion at all. Onions, garlic, bell pepper, uh, butter, seasoned with salt and cayenne, along with a uh, hot sport or ladyfinger peppers are stuffed into slits all over the turkey. The end result is a flavorful, flavorful, moist turkey like no other I've ever eaten. Finding a gravy at the end will surprise you since the bird is placed in a dry pot. Aunt Git uh, usually carves the bird and places the meat in the gravy before serving. She recommends using Cajun Chef brand sport peppers, but pickled banana peppers can also be used for a less hot version. If your hands are sensitive to hot peppers, you might want to wear surgical gloves uh, that can be purchased at most pharmacies. And that's true. Anytime I deal with peppers, I do wear gloves, the kind that, that come with no powder. You know, you can get those at, at Walgreens or any kind of pharmacy, I'm sure, has them. Uh, those, those, those rubber gloves, I use those to, uh, to cook when I'm dealing with peppers all the time. Now, look, you know what? I, I'm, I'm, I have notes here in this book, and I'm seeing it right now. 2008. 2008 is when we started to use this uh, recipe. So however many years ago that was, well, what is it? Is it eight years ago? Isn't that right? I think, uh, eight, eight years, seven or eight years ago. That's pretty, pretty cool. And I use a 20 pound turkey and I do that because we have a pretty big family. And I also love two things. I love to, uh, to, to have leftovers first of all, but secondly, especially around the holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, the only reason I do a turkey is for the, is for the leftovers. I only do the turkey because I want leftover turkey carcass, the bones, and also the meat to make my gumbos. And I make a turkey and undoey gumbo the day after every Thanksgiving and the day after every Christmas. And that is, that is true, folks. That is true. Turkey and andouille gumbo. Um, and, and that's the only reason we do turkey. I mean, it is good. It is, but it's really the gumbo. So 20 pound turkey, uh, and I double the recipe of everything that's here. That's how I do it. Uh, I use banana peppers, uh, and I actually, I, I take them out, I chop them up and I use a whole jar and then 15 sport peppers. But here's what you would need. Two sticks of butter cut into quarter inch slices, uh, eight teaspoons of salt, uh, four teaspoons of cayenne, one cup of chopped onions. And again, I would double all of this if I was doing that big 20 pound turkey. But let's just say we're doing a 10 pound turkey. Uh, one cup of chopped onions, I said, uh, half a cup of chopped bell peppers, uh, two tablespoons of chopped garlic, 
eight to 10 Cajun Chef brand sport peppers. Now those sport peppers are like the, the honest to goodness Tabasco peppers, right? And you can get those down here. I don't know. You may have to go online if you're not from South or living in South Louisiana right now, you may have to go online and order those. Uh, but they're really hot. And a lot of times we'll use that vinegar that they're in just as a seasoning. We'll keep the peppers in a jar and keep refilling it with vinegar um, and use that vinegar just for seasoning. Pretty good stuff. Love it. Uh, Three tablespoons of pickle juice uh, from the pepper jars. And then one small turkey, 10 to 12 pounds. What you want to do is preheat your oven to 400. You take the slices of butter, you put it in a bowl and season it with two teaspoons of the salt and one teaspoon of cayenne. And you kind of shake that up really good. Shake it up really well, then throw it into the freezer. You want it to get very cold. You want to uh, combine the the four uh, teaspoons of salt, two teaspoons of the cayenne in a small bowl, and then in another bowl, combine the onions, the bell pepper, the garlic, the sport peppers, the remaining two uh, teaspoons of salt, and the remaining one teaspoon of cayenne with the pickle juice. Uh, Then you want to prepare the work surface to work with the turkey. And working with a raw turkey, a big raw turkey, it's never easy. It, it's never easy. I've been, I've tried a thousand different things to make it easier, and it's it's just always been a challenge. Uh, and, and I'm going to have to finish giving you this recipe um, after the break. We are coming up on a break here, uh, so we're talking pepper stuffed turkey. This is the Catholic Foodie Show on you supported Real Life Radio. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here, and we'll be back in just a minute. Stay tuned. Here on You Supported Real Life Radio, I'm Jeff Young, your host, the Catholic foodie, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. We're talking culinary inspirations, and I have meandered my way finally to giving you a recipe today, and the recipe is for a pepper-stuffed turkey. Um, I believe this is over at catholicfoodie.com, too. I'm pretty sure that I have it over there. Uh, I will double-check that, and you can look in the show notes at catholicfoodie.com, just the most recent post. If you go look there, uh, you should see a link uh, a link that'll take you to that, uh, to that recipe. And before the, the before the break, I was giving you kind of a rundown of, of uh, the recipe itself, and uh, we ran out of time before the break, and and I was talking with you then about uh, working with a large bird, right? Working with a large turkey, how awkward and cumbersome it can be. Uh, first of all, it's poultry; it, it is uh, it is turkey; it's raw, and so you want to you know you want to uh, you don't want to uh, make it too big of a mess, uh, and it's very easy to make a mess. What you want to do, you're going to want to make some slits under the skin of this bird. All right. So it's going to, it's almost like surgery. You're, <laughs> you are, you know, sticking your hand up in the cavity and you are going to be making some slits and you're going to be uh, shoving butter here and there in the slits and, and all that fun stuff. And so I do like to wear gloves because I'm using um, cayenne pepper. You know, uh, before the break, I told you we have this butter. We, we have these slices of butter that, uh, we have seasoned with salt and cayenne and I shake it around really, really well. And then I stick it into the freezer so that that butter gets really cold. I want it to be super cold because, you know, when you start working with butter, if it's, at, if it's not frozen, uh, it, it, it melts too quickly. And then you wind up not being able to do what you want to do here. What you're going to want to do is stuff the slits that you cut in the bird with the, but the seasoned butter. That's what you're trying to do. 
So I use, uh, I do use uh, these surgical gloves that you can get at the pharmacy. Anytime I'm handling peppers, I, I tend to, to wear them because uh, the oils and the peppers will get into your skin. It, it soaks into your skin and it'll burn and uh, there's nothing you can do about it. You can't wash that off. It's uh, already soaked in. I learned that lesson the hard way back when I was with Mother Teresa's priests in, uh, in Mexico and we used to get donations of jalapeno peppers and uh, we would we would make these like care packages that we would hand out to the poor that lived uh, close by to us. And, uh, you know, a number of times just being young and not really thinking about it, I'm just digging my hand in these big boxes of jalapeno peppers, scooping them out in my hands and, and putting them into paper bags for people. And wow, you talk about pain. <laughs> after, after a while, uh, it's just, it, it's just permeating your hands. Your hands are kind of swelling and there's no washing that stuff away. So I like to, uh, to use those, uh, those gloves. Uh, so what you want to do, I've already mentioned you want uh, to take the, the turkey. I, I like to put towels down and these are towels that are clean, but there's some sort of kitchen towels. I have a, a collection of old kitchen, kitchen towels that I don't really use for much of anything else. And I'll lay a few of those down on a counter and then I take the bird and I lay the, the, the big turkey down on top of the, uh, uh, the towels. And what that helps to do is it helps to keep the turkey from sliding around. And then that's what's going to happen. If I put the turkey into a pan, if the pan has any wiggle room in it, that turkey is going to slide. If it doesn't have wiggle room, then I may not be able to maneuver the way I need to maneuver in order to make the slits I need to make. And then if I put it just on the counter or even on a, on a, 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 a I don't know, like a plastic cutting board or something. Uh, I wouldn't want to put it on wood, but on a plastic cutting board, or, or even if you have marble counters, um, the turkey is going to slide all over the place. But if I put towels down, yes, the towels are going to get saturated. Yes, it may run off the counter, but at least it's going to hold that turkey in in place. So I make the you make slits in different places. You know, inside the cavity, going up into the breast. Uh, I like to lift the 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 skin as much as I can on the outside of the breast area, both from the bottom of the, 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 the cavity and also the, the top end by the neck. I try to lift it up as much as possible without detaching it from the turkey. And I make slits in various places. I don't want them to run together. I want to make individual slits with a very sharp knife. And uh, what I do is I take the butter, you know, the frozen butter that's seasoned, and I just slide as much of that as I, much of that as I can into those slits. Now, it's not only the butter that goes into the slits. I also if you recall, in the last segment, I talked about taking these peppers. We've got, let's see, onions that are chopped small, onions, bell peppers, uh, banana peppers. I like to chop uh, a whole jar of banana peppers. And then probably uh, 8 to 10, if you're talking about a 10 to 12-pound bird, 8 to 10 of these sport peppers or Tabasco peppers, I chop those up finely too. Mix them all together, and I'm going to do it. And it's just it's tough. You do it by hand. I, I take it and, and, and try to stuff as best I can can all the, the little slits that I've made in that, in that bird. Now I do the same thing too, along the, the thigh, uh, and also the, the drumsticks. And then again, at the top, you know, the, the, the top part of the bird along the side of the wing, I try to go right along that bone. If I can make a little slit, kind of go right along that bone, the big bone in the legs and also in the, uh, the wings, I can stuff it with the butter, uh, uh, the seasoned butter and also with the, um, 
uh, with the pepper mixture. And then any pepper mixture that's left over at the end, I, I throw it inside the cavity. And then I use the remaining salt and cayenne to, to sprinkle inside the cavity and then on top of the bird as well. We have already preheated the oven to 400. So what do we do? Uh, we take the bird, we put it in there to uh, uh, put the turkey in, you know, breast side up. Uh, we put it into the oven to start the uh, the process. You want to roast it at 400 for 15 to, uh, to 20 minutes, uncovered, because you want to start the browning process, uh, uncovered. And then once the brown, browning process has started, we lower the temperature to 350 and then we cover it with a lid. Or if you like me, uh, I like to, to use heavy duty tin foil. And then I, I, so I pull it out for a minute. I cover it very quickly and then throw it back in there and then uh, bake it for about three hours. And uh, you got to keep an eye on it. You don't want to overcook the bird, but it's for about three hours. And I'm telling you, there's no juice that goes into this. When it comes out, I have had problems in the past when I use those disposable, um, what do you call those things? The disposable... uh, uh, roasters, roasting pans. I've had issues in the past pulling the bird out and, and spilling juice all over a new pair of shoes, believe it or not, because so much juice is, is generated just from that butter, from the peppers and the onions, and then the natural juice that comes from the turkey. If you're into gravy, you, is, you have this wonderful juice left over, this aju, natural juice left over that you can use to make, uh, to make a gravy. And, uh, and it's just a juicy, juicy bird from the, from the dark meat and the, the thighs and the, and the legs to the breast, to the wings. It's all, all Excellent. So I'm going to try to put this uh, recipe, at least a link to the recipe at catholicfoodie.com. I do believe that I have it posted there already. I'll send you, I'll give you a link in the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com. And, uh, and you can perhaps put that on your menu for Thanksgiving uh, this year. So we're talking culinary inspirations uh, today, and I've already shared with you um, Emeril Lagasse, uh, the Louisiana Real and Rustic Cookbook, uh, just not that long ago. And you may remember this because it is, you know, my paternity leave. You may have heard uh, encore presentations of the, the show I did with Marcel Bienvenu. Uh, she's one of my culinary inspirations. And then in more in modern times, you know, we go to John Besh, and we had him uh, just just a couple of weeks ago. I had him on the show. We talked about uh, his uh, his book, um, My Family Table, which is also one of my top uh, favorite uh, cookbooks, My Family Table, because here we have a professional chef who is uh, Catholic, uh, who's a good man, a family man, and who sees what is happening in our world today and how important it is for us to promote uh, family life and to promote, and how to, what, what, what is a built-in way to do that? What is a built-in way to promote relationships in our family. You know, we have to eat. Let me, I got it right here. Let me play this for you. This is a, a little thing I used to uh, use all the time on the podcast. It's a, it's a jingle. Let's take a listen to this. Here's a way you can be creative on a daily basis. Well, how else in your life can you actually create new things every day? And you have to eat. This mm-hmm. is the thing we all agree on. If you're going to eat three times a day to the day that you die, why not be good at it? That's uh, Mark Bittman and Jamie Oliver having a conversation. It was uh, a clip I pulled from some TV uh, show they were doing together. And it's true. It's kind of tongue in cheek. You know, if you're going to eat three times a day to the day you die, uh, why not be good at it? it? It's kind of funny, kind of tongue in cheek. At the same time, he's on to something. 
You know, he's on to something. Why? Because uh, we have to eat. As humans, we have to eat. It's built into us. We have to nourish ourselves. And so what has happened? I mean, even biblically, you look back in the Bible all the way up to today, what, what, what what's happened here? We we have these rituals and these rituals are called meals. We, we eat these meals together. Why? Because not only do they feed us physically, but they feed us relationally. They, they feed a family. They, they, they bring people together. Food brings people together. And that's really what it's all about. Um, I, I have a, I'm actually going to be a guest on a, on a radio show uh, tomorrow night called Catholicism Live um, out of San Antonio. If you are a listener of that, that show, please, uh, please tune in tomorrow evening. I, I don't recall at the moment. I don't have it in front of me. I'm, I'm talking about this for the moment here, but I will put something out on Facebook and, and Twitter ahead of time. Facebook.com slash Catholic Foodie and uh, Twitter.com slash Catholic Foodie uh, to let you know what, what time it'll be. But I'm going to be a guest on this uh, show talking food and faith. And, and uh, in the preliminary discussion I had with, uh, with the host, uh, one of the questions that he wants to, to talk about is, is gluttony. You know, if I'm talking food and faith, and how does gluttony play a role here? And I, I agree that that in a way, it, it certainly would be a, a possibility in this life. But what the Catholic foodie is really about is what it's about inspiring and encouraging people to get back in the ta- back in the kitchen and back around the table, about really developing relationships and families through this thing called shared meals. That's what it's all about. And thank you so much for being with me today. This is the Catholic Foodie Show on You Supported Real Life Radio. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Jeff Young, your host, and I will see you again tomorrow. Until then, bon appetit.